0: The, <clears throat> the talk today is the third in a series of talks that I'm entitling Transforming the Judgmental Mind. And as I've mentioned uh, previously, uh, I'm taking about a six-month sabbatical where, among other things, I'm working on a book to complete a book on this topic. And I wanted, at least for, for several sessions, to... Uh, as it were, share the creative process with the group and also uh, learn from you. And any of you who have great stories can become a person with a fictitious name in the book, can change genders, (laughs) can change your age, um, you know, within reason, can make make changes, so I'm I'm pleased to be exploring, and I've I've had a good time the uh, uh, last two sessions. The first session, and both of the last two sessions, are on the website uh, dharmaseed.org, as many of you know, and the first session, which was April 20th, was on the theme of an overview on what judgments are, the nature of the transformative process more of an introduction. And then the second time I I gave a brief introduction, but then focused quite a bit of the time on some perspectives from neuroscience related to working with the judgmental mind, which was very, very interesting. And um, it was the first time I had given a talk on that theme. Uh, Today, I want to talk generally in more depth about two ways that we transform the judgmental mind. And I'll Give a brief introduction defining what I mean by judgments and so forth. Since how many people have not been at uh, either of the last two sessions? Yeah, so it's, it's a, a good, you know, at least a third of the group. So I'll give, give a brief introduction and then focus primarily on these two ways of transforming judgments. And essentially, the first is a more direct way of being mindful of the judgmental mind, exploring it, investigating it, going beneath the surface, going into the roots, a lot of which are unconscious. And the second is more indirect, and that is essentially developing awakened qualities in which we manifest non-judgmental aspects of ourself, or non-judgmental qualities. And we strengthen those. And a lot of the changes occur uh, by both methods, both by going directly into judgments, and then by strengthening uh, we might say non-judgmental qualities, which sort of lead us in that direction, even without uh, directly paying much attention to the judgmental mind. Interesting. So direct approach and indirect approach. So. A um, quotation, just to set the tone. This is this was from uh, the person some of you may know, uh, Sky Cushman, who's Ann Cushman's son. Anyone know Sky? Uh, Ann is a teacher, often here at Spirit Rock. Uh, lives nearby. Sky is often here. He is now, I think, about fifteen. This was a dialogue that we had when he was nine. And I was teaching a retreat on transforming the judgmental mind here at Spirit Rock. And Anne was teaching a parallel retreat at the same time. And Sky came to dinner one time. And we talked about the uh, nature of the judgmental mind. He was very interested. And this was the dialogue Sky, we need to have the judgmental police lock up all the judgmental people. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Donald, who polices the judgmental police? Sky, themselves, they lock up the judgmental, judgmental police. (laughs) Donald, so they have to be pretty mature. Sky, yes. (laughs) So I've defined the, the judgmental mind as being a complex sort of mental, emotional, somatic uh, expression of ourselves. And it's complex in that it typically brings together some kind of noticing or observation or even insight or discernment with reactivity. And I'm talking about the judgmental mind as having Uh, both those qualities, reactivity plus typically some noticing. I distinguish the judgmental mind from expressions that we sometimes use the English word judgments for that are more neutral and non-reactive, such as that person made an aesthetic or artistic judgment. That's not necessarily reactive. Or the engineers made a judgment about the bridge. You know, or the teacher judge the student's paper to be of this quality. Could be judgmental, but uh, often is not. And I'll, I'll be using the word judgment to refer to the first kind that has reactivity, that has some kind of uh, uh, pushing away, or possibly also grabbing hold. And it's the reactivity which is linked with the suffering. And this, this connects more broadly with our Buddhist practice, in which a simple way of talking about our practice is that we are interested in situations where we're reactive, where we push away or grab hold. That's the definition of reactivity. It it could be defined in another way as resistance to the present moment. That's what we study in our practice, and we study it in all sorts of manifestations. Uh, the judgmental mind is just one manifestation of reactivity. I prefer reactivity as a translation of dukkha, which is often translated as suffering. And so, if we take reactivity as a translation of dukkha, and I think a, uh, a way of talking about suffering that I think can be a little more clear, because often in with uh, suffering, we don't always have a clear distinction between suffering and simply the presence of the unpleasant or of something painful now I can have I can be with the unpleasant or painful without being reactive right. and I like to make this technical distinction between pain defining that as non-reactive simple, simply the presence of the unpleasant and the uh, reactivity, which involves the suffering. And this is connected with this famous teaching, which I offer a lot here on Wednesdays, the teaching of the two arrows. Remember that, where the Buddha says, everyone experiences the unpleasant. How is a practitioner different from a non-practitioner? And he answers his own question by saying, everyone experiences the unpleasant at times, unpleasant physical sensations, emotions, thoughts, interpersonal experiences, could be injustice, and so forth. We all have that at times, the practitioner as well as the non-practitioner. What the non-practitioner tends to do when the unpleasant is present is to shoot a second arrow. It's said that the presence of the unpleasant is the first arrow. Everyone experiences the first arrow. The non-practitioner tends to shoot the second arrow as if that would help. And so we react to the unpleasant body sensations. We tense around them. Or maybe we judge ourselves, or we judge something in the situation that led to it. Unpleasant emotions, we often, when we're on automatic, we try to get rid of them. We may, again, judge ourselves, or we may judge an interaction that we had, which was connected with the uh, emotions arising and so forth. or we judge the people harshly or have a reaction against the people who we take to be responsible for my difficult experience. And that is shooting the second arrow. That's a form of reactivity. We could define shooting the second arrow as suffering. In other words, uh, the Buddha says that what we need to learn to do is learn to be with the unpleasant without shooting the second arrow. And that's right at the center of our practice. Another way to talk about it in very simple language, very simple English, is to talk about the center of our practice being about learning how to be moment to moment, responsive rather than reactive. That's it. You know, we do that with all the different moments of our lives, and so part of our training is to be able to study the different ways that we're reactive. You weren't perhaps attracted when you first came to meditation, Say, oh, I get to study all the manifestations of my own reactivity. <laughs> I don't think we even, if we look at our spirit rock literature, we don't put that you know, front and center, right? We put, you know, it's probably more like wisdom, compassion, understanding, etc. Uh, but, and then you come here, and you say, hmm, okay, I'm, I'm here for the bliss, okay. <laughs> you know, and then what you experience is a certain percentage of the time, there's the reactivity, right? And you say, oh, look at that. I don't like the unpleasant, you know. I came here for bliss, not for having an achy knee or for some difficult emotions. And so right at the center of our practice, is the transformation of reactivity. Working with the judgmental mind is a major form of that transformative practice. But I think that's important to understand the judgmental mind as, in essence, reactive. So think of an example of the judgmental mind in your own experience. Maybe something that was there yesterday or today. And see if you can express it in one sentence. Don't, not to tell me the situation, but can you say just the form of the judgmental uh, mind as it took, took form in one sentence, please? Uh, in dealing with the teenagers years ago, uh, I'm sorry I never understood the reaction and response of theory. Uh, it just, uh, just… Just give me one sentence. What What is the judgmental mind actually saying? And so I and it has a charge, right? It's like I was reactive, right? It's not just neutrally. Yeah, I was reactive. (laughs) That's not the judgmental mind, right? That is the discernment. And what we're going to look for, you see, is seeing. Part of what we do is we're going to study. We study the judgmental mind, and we see where there's this mix of something that one's noticed along with reactivity. The reactivity is the problem. The reactivity is what leads to, you know, uh, suffering. Basically, it leads to um, depression. Or if we judge ourselves, leads to self-alienation, depression, etc. Difficult interpersonal relationships uh, lead, can lead ultimately to war, right? And that's that's what we look at. So, so you know, I was reactive those years. And again, we want to listen as we hear these, I'm going to ask for a few people just to give that one sentence. And we want to listen for a few things. We want to listen to, can you hear the combination of some noticing plus reactivity? And then another question to ask is, how do you know that there's reactivity? Right? And so we're going to listen for the tone of voice, because simply the words themselves aren't necessarily going to Indicate reactivity, as in this example. I was reactive all those years. I could say that without reactivity, right? In a way that actually could be connected with really uh, approaching it in a mature way, right? So another example. Yeah. Um, I was beating myself up this morning for all. But but say say the. yeah. Yeah. Okay. But say the say the beat up phrase. I was beating myself up this morning. Yeah. Well for feeling so much reactivity while driving. Yeah. Yeah. And can you give an example of the phrase you use when you were beating yourself up? Because it's probably a little more charged than now you say I was beating myself up. Yeah. I should not be doing this after. Yeah, right. I should not be doing this. So again, can we hear some noticing or discernment? That's referred to by the this, right? There's something there that actually we could be picking up on something. It's actually important to notice. But there's also the reactivity. And we can hear it in the tone, right? Okay, please. Are you going to be late again? Okay. And can you say it with a little more tonal (laughs) uh, expression? Are you going to be late again? Right. Are you going to be late again? So we start to hear, again, what's the noticing? Someone's late, not there, right, whatever. And then there's the reactivity, which is basically, uh, I don't like this, and I'm, you know, not necessarily consciously, but I want you to know that I don't like it. (laughs) Right? And you can hear the tone, right? (coughs) Okay, another example. That person is being so rude. That person is being so rude. And again, we may be noticing a behavior that's important to notice. Right? But there's the reactivity, right? And we know that... uh, Again, we know how this leads to suffering. Maybe one more example, please. Road rage driving. Well, give me the example of the uh, judgmental. What you say? How dare you? Know, huh? how, dare the person. how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> whatever, cut me off or you know tailgate me or whatever you know. And again, we may be noticing something that's actually important for safe driving, you know. Uh, but there's some reactivity, right? So um, this is what we want to keep tracking. We want to track that. And um, I mentioned, you know, how it can be related to suffering in all these manifestations, you know, in, for the self, interpersonal relationships, at the level of society. It's that combination of. Uh, uh, discernment and reactivity. And sometimes the discernment is harder to see. Sometimes the discernment's way in the past. You know, we may have a repetitive judgment like, I'm not okay, you know, which can be a deep, chronic judgment that could be linked with uh, really being hard, very, very hard on oneself. And that, the discernment there may be way in the past when it developed. Uh, you know, maybe at age five when I noticed I wasn't doing what my parents told me to do. And I get down on myself for that. At age forty or fifty, it just becomes uh, the discernment is less easy to see. Right? It's just I'm not okay. Or but it's uh, but I think at some point we can see this. And the examples we gave here, the discernment or the noticing was pretty clear to see. It's that mix which points to the way that judgments can be transformed, because we want to preserve the we want to preserve the insight while transforming the reactivity we don't, if we simply say, judgment's bad, get rid of them, which is an approach that you will often hear in psycho-spiritual circles, uh, then we don't have the discernment. And so we somehow want to make use of the insight while transforming the reactivity. This is not easy, particularly with our more uh, chronic judgments. So I mentioned uh, last time that these can appear in, in, in talking about the perspectives from neuroscience. I, I talked about how there are judgments at the level of you know, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others, and there also are judgments that we, we take in through social conditioning. And those can be also very, very strong. And we know those most clearly through our membership in certain groups Um, particularly where there's a hierarchy in the society, where there's a dominant group and a non-dominant group around around parameters of race, gender, class, sexual orientation, educational level, religion, age, and so forth, right? All of those, there are socially dominant messages which we internalize. And so we either, and all of us, you know, uh, not always in the same way, All, all of us are to some extent in the course of our lives in dominant groups and to some extent in non-dominant groups. You know, everyone by virtue of age uh, is in a non-dominant group as a child and as an elder, right? These are, you know, again, the I could say a lot more about that, but this is part of what we look at and how we work with social conditioning is can be somewhat different than how we work with the uh, judgments that are there, more coming from our personal histories, right? So important to distinguish them. So mm. how, do we, how do we transform judgments? If, if that's a description of them, and I think we can see how there can be a lot of suffering, probably we think to our most difficult relationships, there's probably going to be the judgmental mind there, you know, a reaction of some kind or some way that the judgments uh, and here I'm using judgments to mean ju- the, the expressions of the judgmental mind, that the judgments are sort of chronic. So how do we work with the judgmental mind? I think it's parallel to the way we work with reactivity in general in our, in our Buddhist practice, which is that we have both a direct approach and an indirect approach. You know, and as I mentioned, the, the direct approach is that we study judgments we look at them, we're mindful of them, we see them, we learn to work with them, we eventually go deeply into the roots of judgments. We use mindfulness, we use, uh, <coughs> we use inquiry. Um, we can use different techniques that help us to get beneath the surface. Because a lot of our most uh, chronic judgments are unconscious. And they, they often come um, from conditioning from a very young age, uh, both the, the uh, judgments that are related to our personal history and the judgments that come from social conditioning. And again, um, I think I'll, I'll give an example. You know, I've, I, I give certain examples to show this, but one example. Of this more chronic kind of judgment, uh, you know, might come from. Um, I gave the. I, I'll give the example I gave before, which is the example of as a four-year-old, I'm kind of wild. I have a lot of emotion. My parents don't like it very much. They want me to be more subdued. Uh, they. I'm angry a lot. They tell me anger is bad. You know, I learn to suppress my anger, and it turns out it, it reaches expression as when I get angry at age 8 or age 9, I judge myself for being angry. Bad, bad person. When my friends get angry, I judge them. Bad girl, bad boy, you're angry. Shouldn't be angry. Anger's bad. You know. And then I, again, so I judge myself, I judge others. It comes from that conditioning. It becomes unconscious and automatic. And I do it and maybe you know maybe i'm 35 years old i'm married my partner says donald do you have a thing about anger <laughs> right? i said no 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 i don't <laughs> right and but maybe i start inquiring and at that point i i start looking and i realize gosh there is something about anger i've all this you know energy around it and that might start a process of inquiry but the pattern itself as we saw last time that I was here from the perspective of neuroscience the mind really likes routines even if they lead to suffering (laughs) we like routines that are helpful you know like okay how am I gonna meditate what do I do with my meditation session how do I brush my teeth you know how do I you know what's my routine when I start my car etc we the mind the brain just loves routines but Uh, I also develop routines around emotional issues. So I develop this routine around anger and it gets into the wiring, you know. The neurons are firing with this pattern organized around the principle, anger is bad, right. And so, and we do that in all sorts of ways. That's going to be at the basis of more, uh, in in that example, the basis of certain chronic judgments. And so, if I'm going to work with that, my starting point might be to be mindful, to start noticing where my judgments are. You know, I, I may come here and hear, you, you know, you may come here and hear me invite you. One of the core practices is just to track where the judgmental mind appears. Just so start noticing it, you know, start at the beginning start noticing it. And, you, and we notice, oh, there's a judgment. Oh, there's another judgment. We can do this in meditation. We can do this at meetings. We can do this during the day. You know, I talk about having a uh, little log. If you're at a meeting, you can just track the judgments. You know, you can watch the news. You know, watch the, well, watch anything about the presidential. <laughs> you know, the primaries and commentaries on the candidates and just have your piece of paper with, you know, <laughs> tracking judgments <laughs> of various kinds. M- remembering that judgments may carry discernment, so again, not, ju- not the enemy per se. Um, and we just start noticing them and we'll start at a certain point, we will start noticing uh, patterns. We'll start noticing content. We'll start noticing, oh, I have a lot of judgments about anger. You know? and we we'll, we will we'll, we'll see that or um, in the situation which really sparked my <clears throat> personal inquiry into the judgmental mind was when i was going to meetings i was uh, kind of a representative for uh, some of the people at work and i would meet with the kind of the head of the organization regularly like for meetings, about every two weeks. And I've mentioned this example because it was really formative for me. And I you know, started noticing that when, this, when I would say something and the person would change the subject, the person in authority, I would start to be very judgmental about this person. And as I've mentioned, I would find myself uh, withdrawing emotionally to a place of what I came to call distanced moral superiority. where I'd be judging the person how can he be head of the organization you know and so forth and um, and I started noticing that that there was some way and I I started to you know first of all I was just notice it be with it and this took time so we we get uh, we take an inventory of where the judgmental mind appears we start noticing that some are more prominent than others there's certain patterns there's certain content for me I started to notice when I looked elsewhere that I get judgmental when I think this person is not listening to me. A lot of us do, right? Wanting to be heard, listened to, seen, held with care, with kindness is a very, very primal human need, right? And so when we don't have that net, of course we might get judgmental. So we start this process, this is the more direct way of going into judgments, We set the intention to be mindful. We say, I want to really track judgments. We take notes. You know, we especially have to look out, as I've sometimes said, for the judgments about how many judgments there are, because we will notice that there are so many of them. And we can be judgmental. I'm just so judgmental. And because that's not a, a particular judgment, it's a judgment about a judgment, we often don't track that. You have to really be careful about those judgments, about how many judgments there are. But the invitation then is, if you're interested, is to really look carefully at this. And hopefully a number of us have been doing this a little bit more since we started this uh, theme, uh, since, since I started this series of talks. And so we notice the judgments, we track them. At a certain point, we'll see there are they, certain groupings. they are A certain pattern oh I have a certain number of my judgments are about anger oh a certain number of my judgments are about not feeling heard or listened to you know maybe you know some of them might be in certain venues you know like uh, the last time we were here we found that a very high percentage of the judgments had to do as they turned up this morning had to do with driving maybe because most people drove here and it's fresh experience you know and so we may Notice the kind of judgments we have there. And again, what we want to do when we are looking at these, initially, we just track them. I have mentioned that in a way there are three forms of mindfulness that we can use in working with judgments. The first is just noticing them and labeling them. There's a judgment. Sometimes when we're in the flow of daily life, that's all we can do. You know, I'm at a meeting, I have a judgment come through, just label it. That can help me not necessarily to act on it, that's what's key. The mindfulness is gonna save us from being automatic. That's the power and beauty of mindfulness as a practice. We stop being on automatic. And with a judgmental mind, that means that we save ourselves from a lot of suffering. And we save other people from a lot of suffering. So we notice the judgment. We first give it a label, but that again may give us the indication of what's happening, and we may also want to, along with that, say, I'm not going to act when the judgmental mind appears. Take a little bit of a time out, or a break, or be very conscious that any way that I act right now could be harmful. That goes along with the mindfulness. So we first notice, we track. Again, there'll be a natural sense of the judgments appearing in certain groupings. We'll have a sense, oh, look at that, you know, look at that. I For me, again, it was very helpful to know that thinking that this person is not listening to me would trigger a certain class of judgments. That was very helpful. I could see that. Again, it's not, you know, it's not a total revelation because all of us want to be heard, right? But to see that that's a big thing for me and that in relationships, that comes up and can really lead to you know, friction. That's very helpful. So we start to have these personal insights as we study the judgments. Here's my pattern. Here's what comes up. Here's a typical content of judgments. Or, gosh, I'm really judgmental a lot of the time. Again, that can be shocking. Really want to be careful about using that as a reason to judge ourselves. Right? To so we, we study that. Uh, at length. As we begin to study it more, we bring in a second form of mindfulness. When the judgment is there, we start to study it when it stays for a while and see what it's like in the body, see what the emotions are, to really go into it in some depth. Again, this is going to help us to notice it more quickly when it arises. If I know that my judgmental mind, maybe in this area, has these particular physical manifestations, that's very helpful. I found that in my own inquiry. I found that when I'm judgmental, my chest contracts some. I kind of, I don't have an open chest. My hands sometimes grip. That's very helpful to see that because very often I'll notice the physical manifestations before I notice the thoughts. I'm so wrapped up in the thoughts, right? But I can notice the way the body is. Very, very crucial. So having uh, more awareness of the body, very crucial. Noticing the emotions. Noticing the typical narratives, where my mind goes with the the judgments. Very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. And then we start to see the the broader patterns. What are the triggers for the judgments? What, Mm -hmm. like the examples related to anger or to I'm not feeling listened to, we see what we see the typical patterns for ourselves, what tends to what tends to uh, trigger things. We can start to listen for some of the qualities that let us know that they're judgments. As we study these more again we'll notice that the body goes into a certain pattern body has a certain manifestation, that will let me know there's a judgment. As we were seeing in the examples, tone of voice. We also can start to notice the judgments of others. It can actually be quite helpful to notice when other people are being judgmental. And I'll come in a moment to say that as as we take this inquiry more deeply, we can sometimes see that when we really stay with the judgment, we can sometimes see, if we go beneath the level of the verb, the verbiage, which is the primary level that most of us experience the judgment, we can actually notice that there may be some some emotional pain. You know, that when I went in more deeply into the experience with the person in authority, I came to a point where I really studied the judgments there. And this, this can give you motivation for really studying judgments, you go to family gatherings. Be like a uh, researcher. Say, oh, wonderful opportunities to really study my judgmental mind and study others. No, maybe, maybe that doesn't happen <laughs> in your families. But, um, but uh, go to a difficult interaction. I went into that, those interactions with the person in authority. At first, it just kind of shocked me, and I was a little bit put off. But then, as I had to go to meetings every two weeks, I became like a, a researcher. And I got really interested. Okay, how am I going to respond when that happens? How am I going to deal with that? How am I going to study it? You know? And I wanted to both have an internal studying of what was going on, but also start developing more external responses. And so I really, you know, so if you go regularly to some place that triggers you, you can start to have interest in it, and even appreciation. Oh, these wonderful people are helping my learning process. (laughs) You know? I'm serious, right? It's a little, it's humorous, but it's like, you know, like the Dalai Lama says, oh, the Chinese, my enemy, my friend, (laughs) I wouldn't have learned so much without you, right? So, um, that's, that's an advanced perspective, right? But but it's possible. But you can go into these situations really with interest and curiosity. A lot of times we just don't like the judgmental mind. We want to get rid of it. Curiosity, really helpful. At a certain point, you can also have humor and spaciousness. Ah, look at that again, you know? And at a certain point, it can actually be humorous. That's maybe not at the beginning. <laughs> but it's possible, that sense of spaciousness. So we... Uh, can go into these situations with interest. We want to really see what what's the... How do we know that there's the reactivity from the body, from the tone of voice? You know, we start to see, oh, there are these different voices. Oh, that judgmental mind, oh, that comes from society. Oh, that comes from my mother. Oh, that comes from my father. Oh, and we start to hear the different voices. We start to hear the, uh, you know, the nature of the voice. Oh, that judgmental voice, that kind of is an underminer of me. That always is there when something good starts to happen, and I start to get down on myself. Or there's the you know, there's the perfectionist voice, very common. We start to say, oh, my judgmental voice that comes very often is a perfectionist voice. You know, and we start, to, we start to see this. And we start, can start to see, as we go into this inquiry, at times when we have enough mindfulness of the judgments, we can bring the attention sometimes to the body and notice that there can be some pain. So a key moment in my own example with the person authority came when I could actually inquire and start to notice at that moment when this person changed the subject or didn't quote unquote didn't listen to me, I could actually have some internal experience And actually feel, oh, that doesn't feel good. Something painful was there. That's actually, typically, beneath the surface. We don't know that. We just go automatically. Initially, I went just, you know, he didn't listen, you know, objectively speaking. He changed the subject. I went right into judgments like, bam, bam. It's automatic, right? A lot of our judgmental mind has the quality of being automatic. What we're doing with mindfulness is we're making the unconscious conscious. We're making the automatic less automatic. That's how we change it. That's how change occurs. And so for me, I could a key moment was actually feeling that there was some pain there. Sometimes we can feel it in the moment. Sometimes we can go back after the fact and say, what was that about? What was that like? For me, it was very crucial to notice that didn't feel good. There's some kind of pain. In another very key period in which I studied the judgmental mind, Every time there was a judgment, I would try to be with the body around the heart area and feel that quality of pain. I would do it also after the fact as a kind of meditation, which I think I will probably teach next time, where I would actually deliberately call up a judgment in my mind, let it be there for a while, and then bring my attention to my heart area. And typically, after a while, it took a while, I would feel there was some pain there. With every example of the judgmental mind, I would feel some pain. you know. Even at a key time when I was studying this, I, would be, I, was on, I was doing a retreat, and I would actually make a judgment about the food line, about how they had too many condiments and was making it take a really long time to go through the food line. There might be some discernment there, but I was judgmental. And when I would go to the body and the heart, I would say, oh... There's impatience. That's what I'm calling a kind of pain. What I came to find is when I looked that every example of the judgmental mind was based on some pain. Typically not felt beneath the surface. Not fully understood. I came to see out of that that the judgmental mind is a kind of defense mechanism. It protects us against feeling that pain. And as we can actually touch the pain which is not always easy for the, of course, for the bigger pains, but with the smaller pains, I could touch that and feel that, and it, the judgments tended to dry up. Yeah. So that's a pretty good segue for talking about this second main modality of transforming judgments, which is indirect. If we follow the direct way, we use the different forms of mindfulness, we inquire, we start to get a sense of the nature of the judgments. At a certain point, we may start to get a sense of the pain. We may, at that point, start to have access to what may be driving the judgments, these old patterns, these old routines for our most chronic judgments. And that can take us into a whole another area of inquiry, which I'm going to bring in next time. You know, and they, it may take us to very uh, old and chronic um, what, I, what I call limiting beliefs, which are w- way beneath the surface, but which can, as we take this more direct path of working with judgments, we can start to see them and start to uh, bring them to the surface. And as, you know, as with the uh, work last time, that I, the perspective of neuroscience, is that all of these patterns, even if they have fired a million times, because of what the brain scientists call neuroplasticity. It's really the same understanding that we have with Buddhist practice. It's that mindfulness and developing different patterns can totally shift us out of the old patterns, even if they have occurred for 50 or 70 years in the same way. So it's very hopeful. It can take some time and energy but it's very hopeful. But to do that, we need this second approach, which I call the more indirect approach. And this is where we are really developing uh, what we might call uh, beautiful qualities or awakened qualities. And you know, this is where we're developing uh, mindfulness, where we're developing particularly uh, what I find helpful are heart qualities, heart practices like loving-kindness, compassion, forgiveness, uh, joy, uh, equanimity, gratitude, that when, when I teach retreats on this topic, we teach all six of those heart qualities that I named. I think generally we need one or two of them to be done regularly. That, the, that we need this capacity to shift uh, or maybe, let me back up. We need this capacity to uh, be able to go to beautiful awakened qualities as part of the transformation of judgments. I think that it works in three main ways in terms of the transformation of the judgmental mind. The first is that, as you could see by what we were talking about near just a little while ago, if the judgmental mind if the inquiry into the judgmental mind actually goes to a certain extent into pain and goes into, for our most chronic judgments, into very old patterns, it's going into difficult territory. You know, it's going into places where there might be present and past pain, some of which we might actually not even really know about until we go into that. We need the capacity to spend a fair amount of time with and being in places where we uh, really are renewed, where we have uh, beautiful qualities developing, uh, in part to give us the energy and sort of psychic capacities to be with the difficult places. They give us the capacity to be with the difficulty. Uh, They... Let me see if I have... uh, Yeah, this is a... I'll read a little bit from a poem by John O'Donohue. This is called Bienacht, which which means blessing. And this is when we're... Because when we're going into difficult places, we need a lot of these positive qualities to hang out with a lot of the time to give us the resources to go into the difficult. you know, actually, some people I work with, when we start, is actually, they're not quite ready to go into the difficult places. And so, for them, it might be, okay, four months developing joy. Okay. Okay. Or, at a certain time, gosh, I've just been doing these practices with judgments, and I kind of feel a little bit beaten down. Okay. okay. Drop it. Let's go to... Go to the loving-kindness, the joy, hang out with beauty, be in beautiful places, listen to wonderful music. That's your spiritual practice for the next three months. Okay. You don't have to go into the hard stuff. This is from John O'Donohue. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you may a flock of colors indigo red green and azure blue come to awaken in you a meadow of delight when the canvas phrase in the crook of thoughts and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home may the nourishment of the earth be yours may the clarity of light be yours may the fluency of the ocean be yours May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. It's a beautiful way of really getting at that quality of needing to have all these beautiful places we can go. And so anyone going deeply into judgment needs to have a lot of that. Needs to have a regular practice of being with the kind heart, with compassion, with beauty, partly to give us the balance to go into the hard stuff. (laughs) A second reason why it's so crucial is that these qualities like loving kindness or compassion or a regular practice of just going into the forest or being in the mountains or being with music, they give us antidotes to help us when we're stuck. In, in Buddhist practice, we use antidote somewhat as a technical term. The analogy is with medicine, that the, we need to have a whole set of resources that we use when we're stuck. I find the judgmental mind is really strong. I can't really be mindful of it. It's too strong. What do I use? I, maybe I say, okay, now is the time to call up this friend. Go to beauty do something of an inner nature do something of an interpersonal nature we need to it's almost like we need to have this uh, little card that we carry in our pocket or whatever in our purse or whatever where we just have okay when in when difficulties arise here are my core tools (laughs) right and and know what those are and know what to do particularly with judgments if we're going deeply into them they can be strong so the second way that these more awakened qualities, and I'm generalizing to that, to mean also just being with be- beauty is very, very key. Being with beauty, something uplifting, whatever that is. It could be, I'll visit my four-year-old nephew, right? Something that just lets us know the unadulterated wonder of human life, right? Something like that. And so that is, that is very key. Uh, so we need to have these ways of shifting, and we need to know the distinction between when we can be mindful of judgments and when we can't. Very important distinction. Sometimes the judgments will be too strong. I kind of know they're there. I think I'm being mindful. This particularly comes up in meditation, but they've actually taken me over. At that point, the mindfulness is too weak. We want to use one of these tools to bring us back to balance. And I'll close just by talking about this. The third way that these awakened qualities function with judgments, is that as we hang out more with them, they give us a sense of a new center of gravity. As we are more with loving-kindness, with joy, with compassion, with mindfulness, with wisdom, we live more from that place. And we have a sense that this is more who I am. And simply hanging out more with non-judgmental qualities and states of mind, is a major way that judgments change. You know, so I, th- I like to think that the transformation of judgment, the transformation of this reactivity, sometimes happens directly by really going into the judgment, seeing them, clarifying them, healing them. Oh, I've really done... And that can feel like we're really working hard, you know, maybe involves working with a mentor her teacher her therapist and so forth. And this indirect approach often doesn't feel like we're even getting at the judgments but they're getting transformed, again, the neuroscience is helpful because it's essentially, we're setting up new neural pathways. And we can go there. And we hang out there more. And, they, and we can just live more from that. And something in us gets it. The judgment is not who I am. Or the judgment doesn't have the truth about who I am. Or about who this other person is. Because, of course, we want to develop these beautiful qualities in ourselves, but we also want to see them in others. We want to see everyone else as these amazing beings with potential for love and wisdom and compassionate action. And all of us are like that. And we lose sight of that in terms of ourselves. We lose sight of that in terms of others. So this more indirect approach for some people it's the major way that judgments get transformed. Isn't that interesting? Not by going into them, defeating them, or really working with them, but actually just by hanging out more with beautiful states. And I think we need both, because we need to have a certain degree of mindfulness to be able to know when the judgments are there. And to that's, that's going to be really key. The reason we study them so much is we want to know when they come and as quickly as possible not be under their grip. That's why we do mindfulness over and over and over again. And that's really important. But I think these two approaches go hand in hand. The direct approach, what I'm calling, the direct approach, and then the more indirect approach. And they really require each other. So I think I had a nice reading. Let me see if this is to finish. Uh, oh, yes. This is, this is a poem from Rilke. <coughs> And I think this uh, I, think, I think this points to both a direct and indirect approach. So listen for listen for them as we hear this poem. This is called "The Swan." Some of you may know this poem by uh, by Rilke. This laboring of ours, with all that remains undone, as if still bound to it, is like the lumbering gate of the swan. And then our dying, releasing ourselves from the very ground on which we stood, is like the way the swan hesitantly lowers himself into the water. It gently receives him and, gladly yielding, flows back beneath him as wave follows wave, while he, now wholly serene and sure, with regal composure, allows himself to glide. So those are the two aspects of our practice, a little subtly expressed, so that way in which the some of its work, it takes work to really deal with what's hard, to actually get into the water, but then when we're in the water, into these more awakened qualities, we in a way are supported and the process continues. So Thank you for your attention. And we have some time if there are any questions or reflections. We can use the microphone. Please. uh. Thank you for the teaching, it was beautiful. Um, Can you please say the name of the John O'Donohue poem? It's uh, Bayanacht. Uh, uh it's uh so irish word there was uh it's b e a n n a c h t that was one of the easiest questions i've ever <laughs> 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 yeah, but then pronouncing it a second time so excuse me <coughs> pronouncing it after you write it down that's yeah. not so easy yeah um back to judgment um, I when I was thinking when you were talking and thank you very much for your talk um, about my worst experiences with judgment I, I've, I'm very judgmental of other people's behavior and yeah. it seems to me that those judgments are based on what I consider to be unhealthy expectations of how people should behave yeah and have you come across any connection between expectations and judgment in your work? Yes. <laughs> Again, a very easy question to answer next. Come <laughs> on. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, no, it's it's actually a, a, a great lead you know, to really uh, make that connection, to see that there are expectations, and this is... Um, most likely a kind of judgment which has been around for a while which is an older pattern and it may go back to childhood you know, when, when it may go back to being told this is good behavior and somehow we expect others to follow our values. Anyone else occasionally do that? <laughs> There's about a quarter of the, you know, maybe about an eighth of the group uh, raised their hands and about 98% of them us do it. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, so it's a very, it's, um, this is something to look at. Here is where you can, in in studying it, be a detective. Uh, It's most likely a very old pattern, and there's going to be some, uh, this again, what I'm going to talk about next time, probably some very simple core limiting belief uh, that's beneath it. It could be people should You know, you you might, there might be the behavior that one wants specified. People should uh, not interrupt, let's say. Okay, might be an example that some of us have. Uh, People shouldn't interrupt, right? And we, we expect that and we may judge them when they interrupt, right? And we can investigate that using all of the different uh, approaches that was mentioned here. Again, along with uh, having developing the heart qualities and some of these more awakened qualities at the same time. Because it's going, it's going to be going into a territory that at times is painful. So as we explore it more, we may find that there's a very old pattern, here's what the pattern is. And we start just with the mindfulness, seeing what it's like in the body, seeing the pattern. And we can also, and this is what I'll bring in probably the next two times, we can also go more deeply and see whether there might be some core limiting belief that's beneath it. Now, knowing that can be helpful, and there, there, we still have to work to transform it, which is a, a complicated process, But it's, or it can be, but it's something that uh, um, is very possible. So some kind of expectation and uh, noticing where there's a judgment linked with expectation, where we judge someone for not meeting the expectation. I think very, very common. So mostly an uh, invitation to inquire further. But I think, I think if you follow it, it will be very fruitful. But we just need those other tools to help the inquiry be balanced. Yeah, thank you. Please. Has anyone ever spent time contemplating whether one way to deal with... Let's use the microphone, moments? yeah, yeah. Whether one way to deal with those judgmental moments before you get to reactive, is to consciously think about what you should learn from them. Yeah, so a question about, is there something in the, might I reflect in the moment, uh, is there something I can learn from this situation, right? Or is there, what's the discernment, right? Um, That could be possible sometime. That takes a high level of awareness. As I mentioned, a lot of our judgments are automatic, Semi-conscious or unconscious, like the example with mine, with, with the boss. You know, uh, he, I thought, didn't listen to me. I'm out of here, right? I'm out of here emotionally. So it's quite automatic. Uh, if we go into an approach with mindfulness and say, I'm judging right now, what can I learn from the situation? That's beautiful. could be a very wonderful approach. Or what's, what's the truth here and where am I reactive? That would be, that could be very good. That's, that's, I think it could be helpful to try those with our least charged judgments and work up the capacity. You know, you know, watch a presidential candidate. Notice the judgments say, what can I learn? (laughs) Uh, It's actually related to a practice which I did for a number of years, which I've talked about occasionally here, which is taking a difference in views as a starting point for inquiry rather than war. I notice I have a different view than this other person. What can I learn from this person? That is, uh, again, we'll find that sometimes the judgment just comes automatically and you have to sort of, after the fact, ask, what can I learn? But if you can do it in the moment with mindfulness, that can be, it can be very powerful. And it can be done if you, if you do it more and more so that when you get the cue of their judgment being there, you just go automatically to what can I learn. Again, another version of that is asking, oh, there's a difference of views. Why am I having such a reaction? What can I learn? So this quality of inquiry is, is very helpful for all of this. Uh, so we have uh, maybe one or two more. I think maybe we'll just do two more up front and then, did you have one? Okay, then in the back here. Did that get did that get at it, some? Your question? Okay. Yeah. Let's go to the back, Elizabeth. It seems like the uh, is this working? Yeah. It seems like the judgmental mind is a learned kind of a condition. I it seemed like uh, myself, you know, grew up with a very religious Judgmental family yeah, and I seem to carry that with me in, in a way yeah, so comment about uh, the judgmental mind in large part being learned, yeah, I think I mean obviously it has to uh, start at a certain point, but yeah, a lot of our certainly a lot of our core patterns uh, can be traced to the family setting or to the cultural setting uh, and they're they're very old, they were learned you know, again, as I was mentioning last time, from the point of view of the brain, there are routines which let us avoid the complexity of life. (laughs) You know, if I always judge harshly someone who has this view, it saves me from having to listen to the person. And the brain likes that, even if uh, the brain doesn't always do what's wise. (laughs) Let's put it that way. And so, yeah, a lot, of the, a lot of the judgmental mind is learned or conditioned. And that's why it's hard, because that means that it's uh, uh, relatively unconscious. It means that it's been repeated mm-hmm. tens of thousands, if not millions of times. And that there's actually been social reinforcement for some of the judgments, for a lot of the judgments. And so a lot of these will seem to be um, hard to get at and hard to change. And the the ones that are the most entrenched do take, at times, more resources, more support, more perspective, more commitment. But uh, I think the, the perspective here is that, and I, I told stories last time, of working with uh, judgments which had been repeated by this one person every morning for 50 years. You know, probably probably literally hundreds of thousands of times. And because of neuroplasticity at the level of the brain, uh, it can be changed. You know, again, I mentioned the example of social views. The social views related to sexual orientation seem to have had a profound shift in the larger culture and even in the whole world. You know, was news this morning about uh, the, what the, I don't know, it's the president of Mexico, uh, uh, Pietro, is it, I think, um, proposing to, uh, have uh, marriage be open to those from all sexual orientations. There's been a profound shift in that very entrenched views 30 years ago, right? Something has shifted in the culture. That's neuroplasticity. <laughs> it's, it's hopeful. So we can, we can actually change very deeply entrenched views, of a personal nature, of a social nature. So it gives some hope for working with some very deeply entrenched material, something like racism, for example. There's really, I think, hope in that, but it takes it takes a lot of commitment or gender issues, right, or you know, as we've seen with sexual orientation, that it takes a whole different attitude, commitment, having good resources, but it's really becomes it really becomes uh, workable. And that's very interesting. Okay, um, I'll be, I plan to be here the next two weeks and to continue with working with the judgmental mind. How many would like to have a special look at the judgmental mind in the next week? Okay, I invite us to do that, take notes, <coughs> we'll come back, we'll share notes, and we'll take the inquiry further. Yeah? He's being uh, taped and on Johnson. Yes. Oh. Yeah, this, this talk, as well as the previous two talks, are available on Dharma Seed. And so, we can listen to them. I may give a guided practice also next week. Yeah. So let's just close with uh, three things. First is, let me thank you for your wonderful attention. I can feel that. <laughs> I can feel that when we're kind of together with the inquiry and the, the exploration. So thank you for that. And then secondly, set an intention for, it could be for the next week or the next few days, could be related to judgments, or maybe there's something that came up for you that's really important, has nothing to do with judgments, but really is linked with an intention that that comes to mind right now. What's your intention for the next period of time? Particularly related to the theme of judgments. And then last, we'll do the uh, traditional ending, uh, which is the dedication of merit to know that our practice is for ourselves, but it's also for others. And may the benefits of our time together be offered to all beings for the freedom, for the resting in love and wisdom of all beings, remembering always that all beings includes us.